Our reading is taken from Jonah chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went to Joppa, he went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each carried out to his own god. Uh, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men uh, did their best to, to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they, then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they advised to him. Samuel, thank you so much for reading that passage. Well, do keep the, uh, the verses um, in front of you. Before we look at it, would you join me as we pray briefly? Father, your good hand upon us, we pray. Give us ears to hear in your precious name. Speak to us, we ask. Amen. What do you see when you get up in the morning and you look in the mirror? Well, you see a face and looking back at you, and I hope that you like what you see. Maybe not first thing in the morning. I've actually given up looking for that handsome, dashing face which never seemed to materialise. I see now, instead, to my horror, my father looking back at me. <laughs> but when you look in the mirror, do you see your true self looking back? I spoke recently to a, to a man who'd been deceiving his wife for two years. He'd been living a double life. And one morning, his reflection in the mirror got the better of him. He said this, I hated the person who looked back at me. I saw my true self, and I didn't like what I saw. Now, over these next few weeks, I would like to invite us to look in a mirror. Not a mirror hanging on a wall, but the mirror of the book of Jonah. 
For that is what the book of Jonah is. You see, when the mirror uh, of Jonah is held up, the question is, who do you see looking back at you? Someone like God or someone like Jonah? Do we have the heart of God full of grace and compassion? Or are we more like Jonah, judgmental and punishing? Do we willingly or reluctantly speak of our faith? Are we willing or reluctant speakers? So this is where we are going. But let us begin here in chapter 1 with a prophet who has no place to run. But didn't he try? Look there at verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, now the expression, uh, the word of the Lord came, is used over 100 times in the Old Testament. And it is code for God is on the move. God has stirred. Something is about to happen. He has something to say. And when God instructs the the typical Old Testament prophet, uh, he he jumps into action. He he must speak God's words. But not Jonah. Verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. Now Jonah is told to go east to Nineveh, and he goes west to Tarshish. He goes in the opposite direction, completely on a boat. Now we do well to pause and to ask ourselves, what is it about Nineveh that evoked such a reaction in Jonah? And Nineveh was the, the capital of the Assyrians, who were at that time uh, the most powerful empire in the region. And their cruelty was renowned. Methods of torture that are too unpleasant to describe. You only have to visit the, the special exhibition at the British Museum, I am Ashibanipal, to find out more. You see, the Assyrians are a wicked people, as God is kind enough to remind Jonah in verse 2. And this is why Jonah runs. He doesn't want God to show mercy to them who show no mercy. He doesn't want people he can't bear to hear how much God loves them. Now this can appear at first reading to be the main reason Joseph ran. But our author suggests there is a deeper reason why Jonah ran. That he doesn't fear God enough. So we have then the prophet who does not fear God. Now the book of Jonah is a great story, but it's also known for its literary sophistication. Verses 1 to 3 tell us that Jonah ran from God. And then verses 4 to 16 give us the author's reason why Jonah really ran. And the author uses a literary tool to make his point. He builds a pyramid from the outside verses in, from verses 4 and 15 in, using repetition with each layer working towards the apex or main point in verse 9. So bear with me. Let's have a look at this together. In verse 4, the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea. You turn over. Verse 15, the sailors hurled Jonah into the sea. The same Hebrew word is used in each verse. And then in verse 6, Jonah is told to call on your God. Again, if you turn over, verse 14, the sailors call on God. 
We're getting nearer to the apex. In verse 8, the sailors question Jonah. In verse 10, the sailors question Jonah. And then in verse 9, we have the apex of the pyramid, which makes the author's main point. Jonah says, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord. Now in the original it reads, I fear the Lord. The translators here have done uh, the, the work for us, because it's not an abject fear of God, but a respectful, reverent fear of the Lord. It is fear that can be translated, or better translated, worship. Verse 9 is not only the main point, but everything up to verse 9 builds to it. The running away from God. The God who stops Jonah in his tracks with a storm, verse 4. The sailors waking Jonah to call on his God, verse 6. The casting of lots to find out who is responsible for this storm, verse 7. And the sailors questioning Jonah, verse 8. Who are you to have caused a storm like this? And how is he going to answer that question? You can imagine him looking up sheepishly and saying, I'm a runaway prophet. I'm a, a reluctant speaker. But no, he says these words, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. Well, that's a bold assertion to make, isn't it? I reverently, respectfully fear the Lord. Do you not find yourself asking, really? This is the reaction our author is intending to provoke. The reader is meant to see the hypocrisy in the answer. Jonah's actions suggest the absolute opposite, that he has no fear, no reverence of God. The author is using Jonah's own words to condemn himself. Now, Jonah is a thoroughly orthodox believer. He'd be a good churchgoer. Or he'd certainly go to church at Christmas on special occasions. He knows his theology. Now, the Lord is the creator, verse 9. The one who made the sea and the dry land. Now, he's just like the people who are reading this story at the time. The people of Israel. And just like Jonah, they're able to spout out the truths about God but are not putting them into practice. And the author is seeking to challenge his reader. We too. We are to read verse 9 and think hypocrite. And pause, take a look in the mirror and ask, am I a hypocrite too? You, Jonah, say you fear or worship the maker of heaven and earth, but everything else up to verse 9 says you don't. Your claim to fear him, to worship him, does not match up with your actions. Now, it's easy, isn't it, for us to distance ourselves from Jonah. You know, I'm not a hypocrite like him. And this story invites us to be honest with ourselves. And Jonah knows God. He's done good things for him in the past. He's a person of faith. How then has he got himself in such a tangle? Our author would have us conclude, Jonah fundamentally doesn't fear God enough. His God is too small. 
He's limited him to the occasional prayer, church on a Sunday, or a special occasion. He has not seen God in all his glory. He's not Lord of all his life. He's not Lord when he's asked to do something he doesn't like. And he's certainly not Lord when he's asked to show compassion on people he doesn't like. You see, Jonah hasn't fully understood and worked through the full implications of what is meant to worship God in all areas of his life. To be honest, he's still a work in progress, like many of us. His relationship with God is still largely on his terms, not on God's. So if Jonah is the prophet who doesn't fear God as he should, the author has a surprise for us, his readers. Ironically, the sailors do. So here we have, next, the pagan sailors who do fear God. In verse 10 we read, This terrified them. Now these sailors have encountered the power of the Creator God, and they are in awe. Uh, the sense here in the original language is, is that the sailors feared the one who is fearful. The Hebrew word for word translation is, they feared a great fear. Hurricane Michael pounded Florida and the southern states back in October 2018. And, and we lived as a family in the states for a number of years. And we still have many friends. And at that time, my, my Facebook news feed was alive with fear of this great fear. His friends reported updates of the damage that the storm was doing all around them. My former neighbor's tree collapsed on her house. The sailors fear a great fear, particularly when they realized that this was no ordinary storm. The God, verse 9, who made the sea was behind it. And this man, verse 10, was trying to run away from him? You know, as if there's somewhere to run to. How can you run from the God who made the world? If everything that flowed up to verse 9 exposes Jonah as a fraud who claims to fear God, all that flows from verse 10 is in stark contrast. Now here is the true way to worship God, says the author. Now Jonah here pays lip service to the fear of God. The sailors genuinely fear him. Jonah would be happy to see the lost perish. He's no interest in Nineveh. Ninevites. The sailors genuinely want to save this lost man from perishing. Look, verse 13. The men do their best to row back to land to save him. Jonah has not called out to God in this situation. Verse 14. The sailors call out to God in their distress. Jonah's fear leads to woe, while the sailors' fear has turned to worship. Verse 15. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice and made vows to him they worshipped. See, fear is generally seen as something to be cured of, something negative, or weak. And many of us will have our own fears that we have worked at conquering. Yet the book of Jonah is incredibly positive about the fear of the Lord. 
In fact, the whole Bible is. It's the most frequent command in the Bible to fear God. It is, as we have seen, the main point of this opening chapter of the book of Jonah. As the author presents God to the readers in all his majesty and in all his glory. And did you notice the progression in the sailor's fear? It moves from a general fear of the storm, verse 5, uh, to intense fear when they realise the creator God is behind the storm, verse 10, to worship, verse 16. See, their lives have been spared. They have been saved from certain death, and now they worship. And did you notice also the impact fear of God had upon them. See, the sailors no longer fear for their lives, for they have encountered the God who controls the wind and the waves. They have comprehended the absolute majesty and power and kindness of God. They realise that their lives are not in the hand of a storm, but in the hand of the Creator. See, the fear of God can be liberating. It can free us from our day-to-day fears because God is sovereign and in control. There is a greater fear to fear of one who only wants our best. Now, there is a fear of God that is incompatible with the Christian life. You know, the fear that God is out to get you, that he is unloving, that he will never forgive you, that he will fly off the handle at every sin, that you cannot draw near to him in affection and love. And this is the, the, the fear that Jonah wants the Ninevites to experience. But it was a fear that the Bible never encourages us to have. Yet there is a right fear that comprehends the absolute majesty and power and kindness of our God. And so takes him seriously. It is a power that is strangely compelling. It's that holy fire so that you cannot stay away from God. It draws you into God's presence with reverence and fear. It's a fear that causes us to cling to him, to remain in his love, to not run away in disobedience. It is the same power and majesty that stirred up in a boat years later. The incarnate Son of God that rebuked the wind and the waves. Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. And Jesus said to his disciples, why are you so afraid of the storm? Do you not have How then are we to fear God today? Well, it is to repent of our half-hearted attempts to worship him. It is to recognise that God is so powerful, so holy, so awesome, that you would not dare to run away from him, but only run to him. It is to bow the knee and say, not my will be done, but yours. It is to worship the Lord 
with all our hearts, with all our minds, with all our souls, with all our strength, with all of our